I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to another Curzon Film Podcast. This week, everybody knows there's a new Javier Bardem. Everybody knows Penelope Cruz. Everybody knows it's out this week, and we'll do our best to give you our critique. That's how it goes, because we're also talking about the kindergarten teacher. How are we doing, guys? I'm Jake Cunningham, and joining me around a very small table that I've arranged specifically to place us inside the mise-en-scene of the kindergarten teacher are my fellow classmates, Stephen Ryder. Hello. Ella Kemp. Hello. And Kelly Powell. Hello. All right. So uh, along with that lovely chat about the kindergarten teacher and everybody knows, we'll be talking to the kindergarten teacher's star, Maggie Gyllenhaal, who Kelly was lucky enough to speak to. And we'll be bringing that to you in just a bit. But we will start with Everybody Knows, which was the opening film from last year's Cannes Film Festival. Oscar-winning filmmaker Oscar Fahadi brings together Penelope Cruz and Javier Bardem for a Madrid wedding, but everybody knows it's not a rom-com with Fahadi at the helm. You may know him for his slow-burn dramas, A Separation and The Salesman, but here he sets his clinical eye more in the realm of genre as the film shifts into a psychological thriller and old rumours of Cruz's Laura jilting her hometown lover Paco, that's Bardem, reignite. When Laura's daughter is kidnapped, a seething mystery worthy of Michael Haneke is unleashed. Stephen, mm-hmm. uh, people may know Javier Bardem, uh, they know Penelope Cruz, but who is Asghar Fahadi? So Asghar Fahadi has uh, kind of had a, quite a quick rise to uh, to the top tier kind of auteurs that always have a, a film at Cannes or a film at uh, one of the big festivals, and um, you know everybody knows it was no different when it came out uh, when it when it opened the Cannes Film Festival last year. It's taken quite a while to get here, but um, I mean, Fahadi is is such a an interesting filmmaker in the sense that he makes um, films that are very very intimate films about subjects that we might not really have any uh, personal or cultural connection with, but he somehow manages to get an audience incredibly involved with the culture very, very quickly. Uh, He makes films that are not passive at all. They have very kind of tightly uh, constructed scripts, tightly constructed plots, and they move at a very, very quick pace. And they require kind of uh, attention from an audience. And he uses that attention in really interesting ways. He he draws your attention for the story and kind of tricks you into really 
becoming involved with the atmosphere of the film as well. Um, he's a fantastic filmmaker. His his two most famous films, the two that won the Best Foreign Language Oscars, are, uh, of course, The Separation and uh, The Salesman. And people might remember The Salesman from the big uh, event in London. Yeah, so uh, Sadiq Khan put on the Mayor's Screening, which was uh, taking over Trafalgar Square, not traditionally a cinema space. No, uh, no. And putting on The Salesman. And it was just around the time that it just won the foreign language film uh, Oscar. And so it's bringing together a whole load of people in London to watch this film from a foreign language director Uh in the centre of the city was quite an event. And it was great to see so many people coming out to a film like that yeah it's incredible i mean for such a kind of small scale film about kind of very personal human dramas it's amazing i, I did want to just um quote peter bradshaw from the guardian who i think sums up a lot of fahadi's films really nicely in which he says the unburied secret the unhealed wound the imminent return of the repressed and it is a, uh, all of his films especially everybody knows are about kind of repressing your emotions for what you think at the time is the greater good um and um yeah it's this film in particular i feel is a very it's almost voyeuristic in the way that it kind of films this family and this or this unit of people that have come together to celebrate a wedding uh to the point where you feel a little bit uncomfortable sitting in on their conversations and Um, how how does this uh new one kind of tie into his filmography it's it's more of a push in the realm of the mainstream perhaps I'd say it was, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's that far removed from a separation, other than it's kind of locale uh, and it's and it's language, really, um, in the sense that you you have um, a lot of characters being introduced very very quickly, and you have to you know get to grips with it very quickly. But um, what I think is really interesting about uh, everybody knows is that it goes it it moves quiet heavily into the realm of melodrama um to the point where it feels like a kind of uh one of the the spanish telenovelas that it's been compared to quite a lot there's a lot a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that as an audience you're expected to just kind of like accept uh and it can be difficult to get into the film's rhythm but once you do um i think it's it's a really worthwhile film okay and um is it's it's a move for language for him as well um and so we've got uh kislowski and haneke moving to french uh Ang Lee with Sense and Sensibility, how do we find that that translates from his former language? Do we feel like there are some beats that may have been hit better in his older work? I mean, what's what's I've I've listened to interviews with Fahadi and he is quite open about the fact that it was difficult and it was hard for him to to kind of make a film in a language that he does not speak uh, as you'd expect it to be. You know, um, I, I think I remember Ang Lee saying that he used it as a reason just not to talk to the actors because he just pretended he, he didn't know any English at all. Um, but uh, with this film, I think what's so impressive about it uh, from a director standpoint is he manages to draw some incredible performances out of the two leads, especially out of Bardem and Cruz. Uh, it's a bit of a shame that Cruz goes missing towards the second half of the film and it kind of shifts over to Bardem but he is such a good actor at carrying like uh, a film and you know he uses his physicality in the most amazing ways and every time I watch him on screen he he you know his imposing kind of um, physicality mixed with I think he's capable of giving very sensitive performances I think it's a real treat to see this on screen it's no different and everybody knows yeah um so Stephen, you were lucky enough to catch this one recently ella i know this was uh, a long time ago since you since you saw this film uh and there was kind of one one resting point that i think is uh has been left with you on it well jake i've been thinking a lot about everybody knows <laughs> and i think there's a point that i don't think it's exclusive to in brackets world cinema or hollywood cinema or any of it i have noticed that when i watch a film and the name of the film is used as dialogue more than once, 
it's not a good film. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that everybody knows it's not a good film at all. And Stephen, you said some wonderful things about it. Um, but the fact is, the words everybody knows are used twice at different points of the film. <laughs> now, you know, other films do this and that's fine on the basis of sex. Many, many times those words were said, and and you know it's 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 important to understand you know what you're fighting for, um, but again used too many times. The one example, of course, is call me by your name. You know they say the words once in one sentence. It's not its own entity, just the title. You know it's kind of mixed into a more natural thing, um, and that's the only exception I'll make. I think you should do like a a real like dissertation on this subject. Oh, I can. Do Twitter, some, yeah, you know, do some send research. Me suggestions. Do some research to how the like AFI hundred, how many times the film title is said in each film, and I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that neatly draws us onto our next film, which I think begins with Maggie Gyllenhaal saying, "Hello, I am the kindergarten teacher." <laughs> <laughs> She's allowed, Maggie Gyllenhaal. So Maggie Gyllenhaal uh, plays the uh, kindergarten teacher uh, in this one directed by Sarah Colangelo um, about a kindergarten teacher who craves to be a poet um, and she's unsatisfied with family life and her work um, and she finds her art lacking in the world. But when one of her pupils shows himself to be a poetic prodigy, her interest takes on dark overtones. Equally mentoring and manipulating, we can only watch as the plot thickens. Sarah Colangelo reimagines this 2014 Israeli film of the same name, um, and Maggie Gyllenhaal is a fully realized complex woman in this great film. And you were lucky enough to speak to Maggie yes, all about this film. Yes, I was. Yeah, it was great to, to talk to her about it. There's lots to unpack. Um, and we had like a lovely, lovely open talk about it, and she's really passionate about this film. Um, and so I hope you enjoy the interview. Hi, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. So um, congratulations on this film. I think you're absolutely superb in it. And Thank I, you. I really, really love the film. Thank you. And you play Lisa, who is a kindergarten teacher who recognizes um, that her, one of her uh, children in her class, Jimmy, is uh, talented and feels the need to nurture that talent, mm -hmm. but takes it a little bit too far. Mm -hmm. um, but you also play a woman um, who is trying to find her role and identity as a woman and an artist in today's world. Mm -hmm. That feminine sensibility comes out so much in the film. Right, right, it's right. Sarah doesn't judge her, even though she does things that are incredibly course, yeah. problematic. Yeah. So that I think the audience has a chance to make their own judgment mm -hmm. or their own uh, to to feel what their own uh, emotional impact is of the things that Lisa's doing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Did you feel that also on set, like in or during the whole process of the filmmaking? Like, was it a different experience for you? How did it? You know, it's so interesting. It really was a different experience for me, but I don't think necessarily, I mean, I've worked with many women. Yes. And like, for example, the second season of The Deuce, yes. seven out of eight of the directors were women. Yeah. And, um, and so I don't think it's just to do with gender, but it was different. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was. It was like, um, just the other day, actually, Sarah and I were doing a Q&A together, and someone asked a question about what, we were thinking or what we were intending inside of a scene and Sarah had such a different idea of it than I did mm -hmm. and yet that wasn't a problem for us you know somehow the differences in the way we thought was what created some of what's interesting exactly and there were certainly things that we agreed on like we knew I don't even know if we talked about it 
explicitly, but I think we both knew in order for the movie to work, she has to be a wonderful kindergarten teacher. Yes. She has to be bright and curious mm. and friendly yeah. and warm. And, and then you get on the train with her and you get to watch her. <laughs> it's funny. Devolve or like yeah, or, unravel in a way. Or yeah. evolve, depending on how you think about it. I mean, you know, yeah. by the end of the movie, I do think she's kind of come to some really truthful sense about where she actually is yeah. for one second. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. But so anyway, th- those kinds of directorial things, we, we, you know, those were very important. We agreed on them. She wasn't saying to me, oh, no, you have to be a gray, mm. broken, uh, um, obviously sort of sad shadow in the beginning. No, we were both going at it from the same place. Yeah. But then the details inside it and the ways that we maybe felt differently about things we sort of let them coexist. Yeah, definitely. And it, 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 you kind of, as an audience member, you go on this journey and you, because you're so empathetic, like she's so empathetic and you totally get what she's, where she's coming from, that, you know, those decisions that she starts making towards the end, mm. we're not going to ruin anything, mm. but you do, it makes you so uncomfortable, yet you still understand and can't relate to where it's coming right, from. Right, and even I think sometimes I feel, like I've, I've watched the movie twice with an audience, mm all the way through at Sundance and then at Toronto. And then I've seen the end quite a few times with an audience because I've done these Q&As afterwards. It's kind of interesting to get the feeling in the room at the end. And I think especially sort of midway through, like you say, sometimes I feel audiences do this really interesting thing where they're like, Oh, how do I put it? Um, like there's there's laughter inside the movie, right? There's like yeah. there's some kind of strange humor. Yeah, definitely. And She's um quirky, you know. She, yeah. yeah, but some of the laughter I think also comes from people laughing at her and going, I was never allied with this insane woman. Mm. You know, I have nothing to do with this. I never was with her or mm-hmm. rooting for her. I mm. I don't, you know, and and that's so interesting and then and then the movie brings you right back around to empathizing with her again. She's weeping in the bathroom. She's mm. whatever. Mm-hmm. You see where it's coming from. It's mm. like such a I think directorially Sarah did a really beautiful job of allowing the audience to really move back and forth. Mm-hmm. And when they move away from her, sometimes it's really violently and sometimes it's really gently and it's really, I think, beautifully directed. I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And you're also incredible in it. Thank you. Um, I just think, yeah, you such a good job of, of capturing a, a real woman. You know, mm. you feel that this woman is a real woman in the mm. world. Mm. Um, and that's also why it's so heartbreaking when her poetry, her own poetry you know, isn't really ever acknowledged or accepted by any of the men in the film. Right. Know? Her Simon, the the poetry teacher, at one point, like point blank, says says to her that she's not an artist; she's an art appreciator. Mm-hmm. And her husband doesn't really get it, I don't think. And you know, even mm-hmm. though it's bizarre that she does it, she seeks Jimmy's approval, and he doesn't even give it yeah, to her. Which at is one really stage. upsetting so too. Upsetting. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that seems very upsetting. So, what yeah. do you what do you think that the film is trying to trying to say about the way society values? art and artists in a world still very much rooted in patriarchy. The mm-hmm. patriarchal gaze is like very much still. Well, I, I think it's so interesting. I have to say um, a, a few things about this. First yeah. of all, uh, I, I've re- I read a few articles after Sundance where people said just offhandedly in the article, her poetry is mediocre. Now, her poetry is written by a, a brilliant published poet. Yeah. Um, and... And I think, well, is is her poetry the most brilliant genius poet, poetry in the world? 
maybe not, but is it compelling and worthwhile? I think it is. And I think, I think to, to say it's mediocre is a wish. The movie is much easier to watch mm. if her poetry is worthless. And if her poetry is compelling and worthwhile and totally not heard, mm. well, it's much more of a tragedy and it's much more disturbing. And I've even noticed that people, when they write about the movie and say adoring things about the poetry, because uh, the poetry is incredible yeah, in the movie. I mean, right, it's yeah. written by these wonderful poets. Yes. They, they only mention the two men. Rarely mentioned, so they they mention um, Ocean Vuong and Kaveh yeah. Akbar, yes. and they don't mention Dominique Townsend. Oh, wow. And I I think that's wild. Yeah. I'm Isn't like, that whoa, yeah. this is so much what this movie's about. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, right? Why does Gael Garcia Bernal? I mean, I always like to make this joke. Uh, why does he get to decide which? I mean, it's not really him, of course. Yeah, yeah. But um, but you know, I, just because he's sort of this masculine force in the movie, mm. why does he? Why does that character get to decide who, which po- what poetry is worth paying attention to? Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it's all very disturbing. Yeah, <laughs> and it's also interesting that you know she she frames his his recitals as this genius poetry. And she sees, th- she sees that in the, the, a male child, and sort of sees that in a, you know the bo- the idea of the boy genius, and and even her own sense of what she thinks is good art is framed by that mm. lens, you know. Totally, and she thinks her work is worthless too. Yeah, I know, I know, and I, and I think, and this is a place where Sarah and I coexisted and disagreed or not disagreed but sort of took slightly different positions Mm. I think I think Sarah believes that she actually finds a boy genius in her class and that the movie in some ways is an allegory Mm -hmm. I actually think the movie is so subjective and so almost like myopically through her mind Mm -hmm. that I don't know. I, I think children say incredible things all the time. And what makes them poems? You know, if you put a frame around it in a particular way, mm. if you make a line break in a particular way, if you missed part of it and fill it in yourself, you know, I, I think her need is so great to mm. have some kind of a, of a worthwhile artistic interaction that I sort of think much, a lot of this comes from her own head. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, so even though Lisa's intentions are really good, you know, from the, from the outset, uh, she also, she almost starts to become the same problem she sees in the world by sort of not letting Jimmy be a kid Mm. and just experience the world as a kid would really. And that's where the beauty of his poetry is coming from, this Mm. sort of imaginary world that he lives in. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just wanted to know out of interest, um, how did you guys, um, protect Parker Savak, the, the the little boy who plays Jimmy, mm-hmm. whilst making the film, because I think sometimes, you know, films have uh, the potential to be um, do, to kind of do the same thing to, to child actors. Yeah, sure, totally. Yeah. Well, I, I think a lot about this. I mean, even <laughs> though I had a, even though I had a, um, a, a, I was really deeply, viscerally drawn to the script and mm-hmm. to making the movie. There was a moment where I thought about not making it because I thought, I don't know how we can make this movie and not and protect this kid. And I have a child who is exactly the same age as Parker. And I was very in touch with what it actually means to be five and how really vulnerable it is. And, um, 
And yet, the movie is made uh, by you know me, Sarah, all of our producers are, are mothers of young children. So it's made by a group of mothers of young children. Yeah. And um, and I basically thought, I, look, I also don't think five-year-olds are actors. Um, yeah. And I don't think it's fair to ask them to, you know, mine their minds for whatever connection to the story. So we just kept it extremely technical. Mm-hmm. I mean, we basically were like, um, when I clap my hands, turn your head and repeat after me. I don't want to go. And then Parker would sort of turn his head and say, I don't want to go. And we would say, no, 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 sing it like a song. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. You know, and then yeah. and he would learn um, he how to, this sort of shorthand with either me or Sarah, who'd be on our knees by the camera, <laughs> to, to sing it mm. like us. And uh, so that's how we did it. And I okay. think in some ways Parker's beautiful performance, yeah. and I think what's so amazing about Parker is he isn't a performer. Mm-hmm. And it's sad to see how early children start performing themselves, yeah. um, especially children who are pushed into acting very young. But he didn't do that. And I think, and he's also very smart. And those things were such assets to us. And yet I would say that what is what works about his performance is the way that Sarah put it together. Mm. Because he's a little boy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just yeah. a little boy. Yeah. yeah, and you feel that. I think you do. It's like watching. It's really felt very real, the whole film. Very authentic in that but way. But then the other thing is, is like he could only work, you know, very limited hours. Yeah. And so there were lots of times when I would do my side of a scene with our 50-year-old bearded first <laughs> AD lying on the ground next to the camera. And and, and so really yeah. the – and I also think that she is really erasing him. That And it's, it's terribly disturbing. Yeah. And – so my relationship, my primary relationship in the movie was not with Parker. And Lisa's primary relationship truly is not with Jimmy. Yeah. It's with herself. Yeah. And so all of these things helped protect him yeah. from having to feel that his boundaries were crossed. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. I've also heard you say that that you you see the film as an exploration of what can happen uh, the detrimental effect that could happen when a woman is starved of her mind, you know, her creativity and her intellect, and when she isn't recognized for any of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to ask you what advice you could give to women who in now nowadays might find themselves in the same sort of position, you know? Like, mm-hmm. what outlets are there? God, I don't know. I think, I think it's why we made the movie. I think if another, okay, Lisa is very extreme. And, vi- and and her waking up to the fact that she's starving. Um, I mean, look, Candy in the Deuce is also waking up to the fact that she's starving. But oh, yeah. she goes on a very different kind of road mm. to feed herself. I mean, Lisa's very confused. Yeah. Um, but I think even just making art that's honest about how desperate and painful it is to be pushed aside um, and putting that in an honest way on the table might be helpful to someone feeling things similar yeah you know yeah I mean I certainly like I feel that when I feel an experience of mine articulated in a book or a movie 
And it's true. Lisa's really far out there. Um, and obviously her feelings and the things she says and what she's after are not ultimately the message of the movie. You mm. know, she's a she's a very flawed both antagonist and protagonist, yeah. you know? Yeah. But maybe just feeling and seeing her desperation and her confusion, if you relate to it at all, which I hope women will yeah. on some level, and men too. Mm -hmm. And maybe men will have to use that muscle, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've, exactly. Heard a, I've heard a few men say to me, you know, I'm not a woman, but my heart broke for her. I related to her. And I mean, that's another thing I think is really exciting is to sort of say, because I think it, it's just, it's only great to have more muscles and more experience at relating to, yeah. to stories that are not your own. I mean, that's... Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's another way that we can connect, I think. Yeah. And that's important. I mean, that is kind of what art is about. I yeah. think, you yeah. know, like... And learning about yourself. Yeah, of course, yeah. of course. And learning about an experience, exactly, that's, that's, yeah. that's not yours. Exactly. Yeah. So is that is that what you'd say you want audiences to sort of take away from the film? Questioning themselves and, like, you know, making them making them think basically about these things about these themes that come up these yeah I mean I think look another thing I think is kind of that I feel proud of about the movie is you know you can like it or not like it you can be with her or not be with her um, empathize with her or not mm. but we are offering something fundamentally truthful and I think in a moment where, at least in America, yeah. um, we're being lied to all the time, and in fact, we're kind of inured to it, I think it, the experience I want people to have is to be offered the truth and then have the, and then be in charge in their own mind of w where they fall in this story emotionally and intellectually, yeah. ethically. Yeah. Um, because uh, I think. I think most people want to use their minds, and I think most people want the truth. I agree with you. And just quickly to end to end off, are you are you planning on on writing, directing anything in the future that we can look forward to? Another female filmmaker on the horizon. I am. Um, I'm adapting Elena Ferrante's book, uh, The Lost Daughter, into oh. a film that I'm going going to direct. Oh my, that's amazing! I'm very excited for that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for joining thank me. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Thank you. I really appreciated your time. Okay, my pleasure. All right. Thank you, Maggie, for lending us your time there. Why do you think people should be seeking this one out, Kelly? 
And I think um, what uh, Calandrillo does really well here is contextualize it for the for the American so- sort of society where this is set. Um, as far as I know, that I think what Ella mentioned, the, the, the original sort of follows this boy's perspective and it's kind of tackling masculinity in a country at war and the value of art there. Uh, whereas this one is very much from a female perspective. It follows Maggie Hall's character's perspective all the way through. Um, and it is very much dealing with the the value of art in America, how it is uh, valued, how it is appreciated, who has the say on that. Um, and it follows this woman who is trying to enter this in some way, yet her art is deemed not so valuable, not so good. Um, she's called an art appreciator at one stage and not an artist. Dilettante. Uh, yeah. Mm. Um, and um, I think that it's it's an interesting way to tackle, like, w- you know, American society and sort of the patriarchy in general, especially in the, these times. It's interesting to look at that and how art is sort of seen as, uh, you know, who has the final say? Mm. Who, 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 yeah, who gets to, who who gets gets to, to define to, what yeah, is or isn't exactly. art. Um, and, yeah, it's interesting that her, her own art is completely devalued in this and it begins to distort her own approach to artistic practice both within her own work and at a professional level for her work as well yeah. and that she becomes distorted by others opinion on how much value she has exactly really. and it's interesting because I, I spoke to Maggie about this in the interview and um, you know they made a point to make to the, like actual poets wrote her her artwork for the film I mean her poet poetry for the film um, and they made a point to seek out, you know, well-established poets and people who are recognized for their work. So it is actually good poetry, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, that they are, that, that she's writing in the film as her character's writing. Um, yet it's it's not deemed acceptable. It's not deemed uh, of the standard. Um, but this little boy who uh, starts to go into this weird trance when he's spewing this poetry, you know, she herself uh, places this, boy genius sort of label onto him um and it's her it's through her eyes that she sees this potential and wants to i mean it's this film play it it walks a line between understanding the intentions you know understanding what what she's trying to do nurture something you know she she makes such a point of like uh documenting his poetry she's like i don't want this to to get lost and you know this is a genius and and we need to to nurture the soul yet it's also a five-year-old boy you know he's a kid Mm. Um, he might lose this he might not want to do this like where is the moral line but also i think you have to question like how much of this art or how much of this poetry is good from our perspective or are we just being drawn into her world where she's like putting too much emphasis on how good this poetry is even though people are appreciating it in the film like how good is it um, exactly. And we have to kind of contend with that as well. well yeah, you know? exactly. Because we because it's kind of unreliable, right? We're seeing the whole world Absolutely. through her eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think we touched on that in the interview as well. You know, uh, it, it it plays on that notion of trust for a teacher. Exactly. We, like yeah. we as an audience naturally kind mm-hmm. of want to like teachers, um, <laughs> and and so do the people in the film. And that's her one. Even though it's bad practice, that's one way of her to glean power yeah uh, even though she it becomes exploitative ha- yes. she loves having power over this cultural kind of object that she that she thinks can become part of like the wider cultural kind of understanding she loves being the curator of it yeah exactly. basically but and then like, her poetry class as well that she goes to then when she reads 
you know, poems of all sorts that she's written, some that she might not have written. It's so interesting seeing the reaction from that whole classroom as well. So then that kind of validates it in that a way. kind of teases it out, the idea that it's not it it might not be just you know, her character imagining everything. Because then also, <laughs> one thing that differs from the original film is in the new film, um, Gael Garcia Bernal is cast as the teacher, um, her poetry teacher, which is fascinating. And he's just such an amazing character because he's completely gormless and there's like nothing to him. But there's just... There's, there's just like such a little sparkle in his eye that kind of almost validates everything. It's Gail Garcia Bernal reading poetry. Yeah. Gonna, well, exactly. You're gonna get into it. What a what a fa- what a fascinating bit of casting that is, though. Yeah. To 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 put one of kind of Mexico's maybe Mexico's biggest actor in a supporting role as a poetry teacher. And but then their like relationship, that. like between yeah. Maggie Gyllenhaal as um, Lisa as her teacher and him as well it becomes much more again than student and teacher Mm -hmm. which which happens mm -hmm. in all of like in every relationship in this film and there it just I think it reflects the way that Lisa has this very weird relationship with intimacy and affection Mm. just sex and all of it with everyone in her life like as much the way that she will be intimate with her husband as much as her students um, her kids and this teacher there's just there's kind of a bit of a disconnect between the way you think that like sex should be with a partner and then the way that it is and how that's not related to what you can see that she actually cares about and like there's no I didn't think there was much like desire or lust in any of this film at any point but she's so tactile with everyone um and then I want to say that her relationship with Jimmy the five-year-old student I think that often when I've heard and when I've described this film when you when we start to say oh it's a teacher who has like an alarming relationship with her five-year-old student it is but it's also not exploitative and I don't think it delves into like the really horrible realms that I find myself instantly thinking oh if it goes bad that means well it is exploitative just in not the way you think right exactly but yeah yeah exactly I I think the film comes down what's fascinating about the film one of the things I disagree with it but other people might not is that it kind of comes down on her side I feel, especially no, the especially the ending, mm. and I think that's it, maybe a debate for another day. I think, so. but because it would take ages to yeah. let people because it would take ages. No, let's but, go into it right now. Let's get <laughs> people the ending. But like, but yeah, it's it's it does walk a tightrope, like you said. Yeah, but I just think occasionally it falls a little bit off that tightrope towards her. Side I think. Well, I think what what is done really well is that it, the film never judges. I don't think it takes a hard line. It's mm-hmm. it, it's very she's it's very nuanced film actually, and I think it's directed really really well in the sense that like you are kind of just following the story. And I found myself, you know, what when I first saw it, I was like, I really flipped a, a lot. I was like, okay, I get behind that. No, I don't get behind that. Then I flipped back and I was like, okay, I understand it. Like it's really nuanced in the, the whole world, the whole way the world is created. You understand so much of her. She does have desires. They might not be necessarily overtly sexual, but they desires the other desires is desires, you know, to express herself through her art. She has desires, she has she's very sad and lonely. She's a lonely, lonely character. You know, she's very isolated. Um and you understand 
why she does yeah. certain things. Her frustrations, but they're are not necessarily justifiable. Yeah. So I think yeah. that, that that the film walks a, a tight tight rope in the sense that it's never taking a hard line to judge the character, and so it lets you, it sucks you in really, because it is a slow burn, and it does like it starts to simmer, and then it gets like it goes to a place like from the end to the beginning. You're like, how did it get here? But it really does kind of it draws you in and you, you, you kind of are along with her for the ride. Yeah. And also her yeah. character, um, I think a lot of female-fronted films that we have been seeing recently and keep coming out, there is there seems to be a kind of a, a, a box-ticking way mm. of building these characters, which is saying, is she strong? Does she look this way? Or is she a bit flawed? Is she a bit vulnerable as well? And I think, as you say, this film is so nuanced in that yeah like you might side with her or or you might not but there's so many different ways that she flips and she's not just this like messed up woman who's doing the silly things and she's not you know an exemplary one um either yeah um so lisa spinelli may not join the the pantheon of great cinematic teachers um but we did put the call out on twitter uh, just in case anyone uh, wanted to pitch in with some of their favorite teachers i know mine instantly as the question was put out there had to be dewey finn aka ned schneebly aka <laughs> mr s <laughs> from school of rock that is the best one uh, to be honest. we had uh, some other questions uh, chase carpenter said john keating from dead poet society wonderful uh, robin williams performance mm. uh kelly anything any favorite teachers of yours well, he's not really a teacher more than a coach, but uh, Denzel's character in uh, in Remember the Titans. I love that movie. I mean, neither so is much. Mr. Ass, so... Yes, yeah, I guess, yeah. Steve? Me, I like... I, I mean, I... Um... I'm a big fan of Matilda and I'm a big fan of Miss Honey. Arguably a, a, an awful teacher, but a lovely person. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm going to go with Miss Honey. And Ella, I mean, any opportunity to bring up uh, another film starring Timothy Chalamet, really? Look, I don't make the rules. <laughs> <laughs> I did not write or direct or have anything to do with Miss Stevens, but the film called Miss Stevens, starring Lily Rabe as Miss Stevens. Oh, sorry, to come back to the point at the beginning, um, Miss Stevens, that's allowed because it's a name. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right, okay, that's fine. Um, we also had some... Uh, suggestions from uh, well the same suggestion um, from Drew Padia and Rob Kenny who picked Half Nelson uh, and that was a film directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck and they've got a little indie flick <laughs> out this week a new one a nice maybe a, a little follow up to Half Nelson um, it's called Captain Marvel uh, now with nothing but a Furby a choker necklace and a copy of Windows 95 on a floppy disk can Brie Larson's marvellous new hero save the 90s and possibly the future? We don't know. None of us have seen it. But <laughs> I'm going to edge my bets and I think she will. Yeah, I think she might just yeah. save the day. Um, but I'm actually really excited about watching that. Yeah, um, it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and um, we, we spoke earlier about these directors making these transitions, like going from, you would never have watched Half Nelson and thought, right, yeah, they're definitely going to do Captain Marvel. Always really interesting to see uh, directors do something like that. Um, but it's a huge week uh, at the movies. Uh, we've also got Border. Uh, this is quite a wonderful uh, love story between two modern-day troll-like humans. Uh, a little mention for Ray and Liz also out this week. Absolutely. So Ray and Liz is the film, is the feature debut from photographer Richard Billingham, which revisits his own childhood uh, via these characters, Ray and Liz, who were... Uh, are his parents uh it's a beautiful beautiful small film um inevitably with his eye as a photographer it looks 
stunning. Uh, the acting is terrific. It's Ella Smith and Justin Salinger playing um, the titular characters. It's just explosive in how like wonderful and beautiful it is. Um, really recommend that. And if you cannot make it to the cinema this week, of course, there is also the option of Curzon Home Cinema. Um, the new release on there this week is Sauvage, uh, which in a weird twist was actually directed by your former film teacher, Ella. It was indeed. It was a wonderful surprise when I saw that it was featured in the um, Critics Week section uh, for debut features. Um, so yeah, so Sauvage is directed by Camille Vidal-Naquet, who's a French filmmaker, and it follows the life of a 22-year-old male sex worker who's working the streets in, in Strasbourg. And um, it's, it's amazing. It's it's electrifying. It's so exciting. It doesn't take like a documentary kind of approach to just say, you know, this is the job. This is, this is what people do. It's very tender and focused in on this character who is played by Félix Marito, who um, this is his first like big lead role really um he was kind of in the shadows of bpm and you know it was really terrific in that and um yeah i think it's really exciting for him and again it's it's another film that doesn't judge the character it just really has so many layers and it's just wonderful told you Sue as a teacher's pet <laughs> um and as well as so Vaj, we've got a fahadi collection if people want to catch up um on titles like the salesman a separation uh before heading to see everybody knows and, of course, we've also got Foxtrot, which was our film of the week last week. And in case you missed that episode of the podcast, we delve into that film, along with some of our other favourite foreign language war films, too. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on Everybody Knows or The Kindergarten Teacher, or let us know any more of your favourite film teachers, you can do so by emailing podcast at curzon.com. Or if it's easier, do just tweet us at Curzon Cinemas, where we'll be putting a call out for next week's topic as well. If it is your first time listening... You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And whilst you're there, we'd love it if you could leave us a review or a comment. That would be wonderful. Next week, we'll be talking about Lucas Dont's Girl and also to Simon Amstel about his new film, Benjamin. If you want to keep up with us, you can do so on social media. You can follow Stephen on Letterboxd at... Uh, Stephen Ryder with two R's at the end. Lovely. Uh, Kelly on Twitter at... KS underscore Powell. Ella at EFE Kemp. And me, if you are so desperate, at Jake H. Cunningham. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.